Hey there. Hello. Today, we're going to talk about Huey Long. All right. Huey P. Long. Huey P. Long. That one. That's the guy. Junior, right? He's a junior. He is a junior. He was also nicknamed the Kingfish, which is extremely cool. (laughs) That's a dope name. Right? Like, I love that. I would love to be called the Kingfish. In our space D&D game, uh, we are... um, Oh, yeah. Our vessel... (laughs) That was stolen in the first episode, basically, from pirates and has Mm -hmm. become the party space vessel. It's called the Queenfish. Didn't it used to be called the Kingfish? And we're just like, nah. Yeah. uh, It was originally called the Kingfish. And this was my inspiration for it, actually. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Well, now it's a transgender spaceship. So. Hell yeah. (laughs) Living the gay space communist life. (laughs) All right, let's jump in. All right, so we've mentioned this guy a couple times in the pod, so he's come up in our UBI episode, episode 19, uh, Black Panther episode, episode 29, and we briefly mentioned a quote from him in episode 36, which is part one of Open Veins of Latin America. Mm. Oh, yeah, about uh, Standard Oil, right? He did not like them. His arch fucking nemesis. (laughs) (laughs) One way you can uh, judge people is based on the enemies they make. So Honestly, yeah. The very basics, he was a lawyer, governor, and then senator in Louisiana. All right. And was primarily known as a populist Democrat, very controversial figure, which we'll talk about. For our non-American listenership, Louisiana is a state next Ah. to Texas uh, in the southern part of the United States. It's very southeast. uh, on, On the Gulf Coast there, yeah. Yeah. So I also want to mention briefly some of my sources. I did this very entertaining thing where I pulled up his Wikipedia article on one page and went to his official website on the other side of my screen Oh damn. and read them kind of like back and forth for each section. And it was really funny <laughs> because his website is run like by his family. So it's I just assume, like yeah. <laughs> super biased and hilarious is good. Uh-huh. It's like a foundation type, you know, like the Mount Vernon website for George Washington or something. <laughs> Or like a presidential library, but for a governor sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then I also watched the Ken Burns documentary on PBS. I believe mm. it's just called Huey Long. It's very easy yeah, to find. Uh, the American Experience one? Yeah, yeah. I actually had to rent it because I couldn't figure out how to get them to my PBS membership. So <laughs> <laughs> I watched that long ago in college sometime, so I don't remember too much of it. But Let's start at the beginning. He was born, as most people are. <laughs> Born, not hatched. Born, not hatched. Not incubated. None of that weird stuff. Did not spring fully formed. Although he probably would have told somebody that if it got him somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) He was born in 1893 in Winfield, Louisiana. And he was part of, which is part of Wynn County or Wynn Parish. I think Louisiana has parishes instead of counties. Yes, that's right. For non-American listeners, that's just like a smaller part of a state. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's the same thing as a county. (laughs) <laughs> so this county like has kind of a history of being very poor and also a little, I wouldn't say leftist, but a little um, different. So they were okay. unionists in the Civil War. Okay. And this was in northern Louisiana, I guess, because it, uh, it was poorer, right? So that was like where the poorer land would have been? Yeah, yeah. In the documentary, they're talking about how Louisiana, like I think a lot of states, especially being from Texas, could really be like four states in terms of like different regions of it. And they're like, yeah, mm. no one's ever really been able to unify northern Louisiana with like southern Louisiana, which is like New Orleans and Baton Rouge and all like the cities. Okay. 
Yeah. But he was one of the few people that kind of was able to do that. All right. So yeah, when Parrish was actually against secession and they really saw rich slaveholders as class enemies, which I'm like, I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. And actually later on, 35% of that parish voted for Eugene Debs, which we have also mentioned several times on this pod. Hell yeah. Socialist candidate for the presidency of the United States a a number of times, right? Yeah. I think like three, I don't know, (laughs) quite a few. Yeah. Wow. 35%, uh, 35% voting socialist in yeah yeah crazy right (laughs) so anyway he was born and he claims because his whole persona was very much like i'm a cool southern dude like i'm i'm just a down-home country boy okay so he claimed he was born in a log cabin (laughs) and they interview his sister in the documentary and she's like well the house was made of logs but it was like a giant farmhouse (laughs) (laughs) and they show a picture of it and it's beautiful so Yeah, yeah not exactly a cabin Mm-hmm. And they they were pretty well off compared yeah, to Yeah, I was going to ask, is, is his parents were okay then? <laughs> yeah, they like owned a farm and they were doing all right. And they had a ton of kids, nine kids total. Well, that's the same thing as um, William Henry Harrison did that back in the day. He was the first log cabin presidential candidate. But, you know, it was just like kind of where he was from, but it wasn't like a log cabin situation. <laughs> I mean, not he what was you like think a, of. Yeah, he, his family was well off and stuff. So it's this just, is a tried and true American tradition. Act like <laughs> you're real. common. <laughs> I'm just going to build a cabin in the backyard or something and be like, yeah, I've got a cabin. <laughs> totally. This story comes from his website. So like sprinkle a grain or two of salt on it. Okay. But there's a story about an eight-year-old Huey Long witnessing a farmer losing their land at auction. And he was like really upset by it. And like the farmer begged the crowd not to like bid on it. But then he lost it anyway to the creditor. And it like Damn. really horrified him. Wow. You know what they used to do with those is if they, if they could organize it ahead of time as the neighbors, the people mm. of the town and everything, they get together and be like, listen, if some asshole comes in here and tries to buy this we're gonna you know threaten him we're just gonna be like we'll beat you up dude oh, shit. <laughs> and so then they'd stand around you know and look tough and then nobody would bid on it and they'd you know buy it back for a few dollars and give it back that's amazing yeah that's that so was cool. old school solidarity yeah right huey was homeschooled until 11 this was super common for context in 1920 only half of louisiana's school-aged children attended school Wow. And in 1928, a quarter of adults couldn't read, which is the highest illiteracy rate in the United States at that time. Man. So nowadays, the phrase, I believe, is thank God for Mississippi, uh, because (laughs) Mississippi, historically anyway, I don't know where the numbers are now, but had like really low stats in all Mm -hmm. the things you want to have really high stats in. So it's like, well, at least we're not that bad. But back then it was thank God for Louisiana, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Like, we'll see time and again, like, the situation there was pretty just impoverished. So yeah. I think that plays a big role in his story. Mm-hmm. All right. He gets into school. He does really well. He even skips seventh grade. He just, like, talks his teachers into it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I don't really need to learn all this. <laughs> I'm smarter than you. I could teach this class. I mean, basically. Fuck it. Get out of here. Go to the next grade. <laughs> 
In high school, he finished 11th grade, which at the time was the last grade. Mm, But then the state voted to add the 12th grade. And he was so pissed that he like circulated a petition about it. And then he got expelled. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, fine, just fucking leave. He sounds like a really annoying student. Like he is a super nerd, but (laughs) people just keep sending him on. Like... Oh, yeah. He literally signed his name Honorable Huey P. Long, like, in his textbooks when he was a child. <laughs> like, oh, he sounds wow. ridiculous. Yeah. Esquire. <laughs> yeah. Very weird, dude. He had actually won a scholarship to LSU for being on the debate team. Mm-hmm. But because the scholarship only covered tuition, he couldn't afford textbooks and, like, the living expenses. Oh, shit. So he became a traveling salesman. Whoa. All right. Different trajectory. Yeah. And, like... Whenever people talked about in the documentary, like, they're like, I mean, you can tell. (laughs) He was very good at selling shit. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. He sold everything from cooking oils, patent medicines, shortening, canned goods, laxative, starch, washing powder, just like all kinds of stuff. Wow. What a trunk he was carrying around. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no. So apparently it was a very unstable job. Like, you would just work for Uh, a company and then, like, often those companies would go bankrupt. What am I selling today? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was very, like, unstable. Mm, okay. He kind of dicked around for a while. He tried going to seminary school and dropped out after one semester. And then he borrowed, like, 100 bucks from his brother to go to University of Oklahoma College of Law and then dropped out after three C's and one incomplete. So, you know, not super focused. <laughs> That's not even that people come back from worse grades than that. That's not so bad. I know, right? Like, he could have just kept going. Then finally, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to knock it out. He goes to Tulane University, studies for one year, and then he's like, I'm done with this. Petitions the Louisiana <laughs> Supreme Court to just let him take the bar early. And he passes at age 21. Without, So he didn't go to college. He just did some law school and was like, I got this, I think. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of dope. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a power move. Yeah. And he's very, so he's very successful at convincing people, right? Like, I don't need seventh grade. I don't need the last of high school. I don't (laughs) need law school. Yeah. (laughs) He's just not good at selling Jesus. Like, that was not his deal. He, you know. Selling Jesus? You know, he he dropped out of seminary or whatever. He couldn't. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He was like, I don't know if I could. This is a hard sell. (laughs) This isn't really my thing. (laughs) So another pro move, I would say, Mm -hmm. he put on a baking contest to sell shortening like that was one of his products he was selling okay and he met like a hottie there named rose mcconnell Ah. in a total chad move he decides to give rose first place and second place to her mother (laughs) oh all right smart smart right um and then they dated for two years and got married (laughs) Uh, first impressions are everything. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> In very much reminiscent of his lifestyle, he borrowed 10 bucks from his fiance to pay the officiant at the wedding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, so, yeah. he had the charm. He didn't necessarily have the dough at, the, at that yet. time. <laughs> so now he's a lawyer. He starts out in Winfield and was very proud of the fact that he never took a case from a rich man like he was always defending the poor that was his thing mm, that's why so that's why he had to borrow, borrow ten dollars is he's not, <laughs> right he's not representing the high class clientele 
So yeah, he did a lot of like workers' comp cases, and he even won a case for a widow against the town bank. And like the manager of that bank was his uncle, whose office he like worked above. Oh, <laughs> so like man. that was probably awkward. <laughs> yeah, but I guess he's always he's going for the underdog. That's the pattern there. And that's his thing. Okay. And then this is our first run-in with Standard Oil, which is going to be a lifelong fucking feud. <laughs> Good. Yeah, we encourage our listeners to cultivate lifelong feuds with with oil companies. For sure. Please uh, do it. <laughs> they should be your enemy. <laughs> Absolutely. So the first instance, which I think is interesting, this is the first one, was in 1918. He invested $10,050, which is about seventeen k today. Okay. He actually invested this in Standard Oil. A well struck oil, but the company refused to accept the oil for some reason, so he lost his money, and he was, like, really pissed about it. Oh. So, strike one. <laughs> <laughs> and then a few years later, in 1921, he represented a small oil company in a lease dispute against Standard Oil and lost, and so I bet he didn't enjoy that either. Mm, so this was less like, you guys are an oil company, and more like, you screwed me over. Slash my yes. clients. Okay. Yes. But they're going to come back and he's going to keep just pushing their buttons. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but before that, he moved to Shreveport and did some more workers' interest cases. He lobbied the state legislator for workers' comp reform mm-hmm. and just generally became really unpopular with the upper class, which is another great thing to do. And then he decides to run for Louisiana Railroad Commission. Will you explain what that position is for our non-American listeners? Uh, yeah. Oh, I actually have it written down. Apparently, past Christine did this research. All right, there you go. <laughs> I <gift>. blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> A gift from the past. Gift from past me, they said. Um, it's an independent regulatory agency that manages public utilities and motor carriers. Things like electricity, water, waste, natural gas, telephones, all that kind of stuff. It's utilities. If you're playing Monopoly, it's the utilities. It's similar to what it is in Texas, the Railroad Mm -hmm. Commission. It's like the most powerful post besides governor, basically. And it sounds like it's old timey and weird, but it actually has all this regulatory power over oil and gas, coal pipelines, uh, obviously actual railroads and stuff. But like, yeah, utilities. And it's it's just a misnomer, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like you're just like, what are you fucking running to make sure the trains go on time like no <laughs> like yeah <laughs> right yeah. it's way more important than it sounds it mm-hmm. also sounds super country like i'm curious what other states have it and stuff like i don't know yeah anyway so he runs against this guy called burke bridges which like what a name sounds like a real cowboy <laughs> <laughs> and um there was a runoff in his really close race he only won by 636 votes and is Ooh. mostly from rural areas all right. So he got the country vote. He did. Um, keep in mind, he's only 25 years old. <laughs> wow. They elected a 25-year-old railroad commissioner. So this actually was part of the reasoning he ran for it, was that that office was the only one that didn't have an age requirement. Hmm. <laughs> and he was like, fuck it. I want to get in politics. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So he defeated Burke. He gets in as railroad commissioner and immediately starts pissing people off. <laughs> All right. He forces utilities to lower rates. He forces the railroads to extend service to small towns because, as we talked about, they're going to prioritize, like, moving stuff instead of people. Yeah. And coming back to our old nemesis, he demanded that Standard Oil 
use more oil from Louisiana wells instead of importing them from Mexico. Mm, okay. And this did not uh, make him any friends in the business community, I guess? Um, defo not. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually he becomes chairman of the Railroad Commission. It gets renamed, but whatever. Mm-hmm. This is 1922, and he sues a telephone company because they raised their rates by 20%. He took it to the Supreme Court and won and forced the company to like refund 80,000 overcharged customers. Heck yeah. Yeah, so he's just like busting shit up, which is hilarious. I love it. We, yeah, we love to see the underdogs having some victories. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we, it's it's still, like, within the system. It's just, like, legal victories, but it's kind of cool. Not a bad thing to do, that's for sure. Yeah, true. <laughs> so now he's like, all right, bigger fish to fry. I'm running for governor. So his Ooh, first right. campaign was in 1924. And this was against John M. Parker, a guy he had previously campaigned for, but Ooh. now... They were on the outs because Parker refused to make the oil pipelines public utilities. And so Mm. Long was like, you're fucking bought by Standard Oil. Like, you suck. So does that mean he wanted to nationalize, or not nationalize, but statize uh, (laughs) oil there? Or just, like, be able to regulate it more, I guess? I think it was more about regulation. Mm -hmm. Because as we'll see, well, he doesn't ever get quite that radical yeah but yeah he definitely wanted more control over them than they were willing to give okay cool at the time the government in louisiana was pretty much like post-reconstruction era democrats okay so these were people who were like very obsessed with the idea of the lost cause yeah these are uh very racist folks too right (laughs) Definitely so. Super racist. So yeah, if you don't know what the lost cause is, that's the idea of like, well, we should have won the Civil War. And this is coming from like the South. So bad shit. It's, it's, a, it's I guess it's a big topic or a big uh, mm-hmm. thing to unravel in American history. But basically, after the Civil War, you had a period called Reconstruction, where the, the country's put back together under the domination of the Union, which, you know, keeps uh, military occupation on the former Confederacy. And make sure that they do, well, reconstruction, where they're, like, passing amendments uh, to undo, basically, the system of slavery Mm -hmm. uh, and instate, for the first time, I suppose, more racial equality. Yeah, yeah. Very much, like, done at gunpoint. (laughs) Yes, yeah. And so once that goes away in 1877, uh, in a deal to make Rutherford B. Hayes president, uh, the North stops, I guess... The United States overall stops the military occupation of the South. And then these Southern Democrats we're talking about come back to power. Say They're called the Redeemers. And they're like, oh, we're going to bring the South back to being good again, which to them means <laughs> being racist. Yeah. So putting back white supremacy. And that's the Louisiana we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah. Not a great situation. Yeah. The weird slash uncomfortable part about this part of his biography is that Long basically stays pretty neutral Mm, on the issue of race. He doesn't like explicitly side with the KKK, which everyone at the time was like, whoa, that's crazy. (laughs) But like, that's a low fucking bar. (laughs) That was the uh, furthest out he was willing to go on. That was, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the clan. (laughs) Yeah, basically. And it's a super low bar, but I mean, he he hinted at being unhappy with the clan. Like, apparently the Imperial Wizard, 
is, I guess, uh, you know, a very high up. I had heard of Grand Wizard. I had not heard of an Imperial Wizard. Uh, I think it's one of those things where you just kind of have to keep making up titles because the whole thing is made up, you know. <laughs> so in Dragon Ball Z, like they have a really powerful enemy, but then like you have to come up with how a actually this version. new guy is even more powerful, you know. <laughs> Definitely. This fucking <laughs> racist LARPer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, he called him a bastard uh, because he was supposed to, like, come to Louisiana. And he said if he came there, he would leave with, quote, his toes turned up, which I'm like, that's Uh-oh. great. <laughs> All right. I like it. Yeah. I mean, like, that's cool. But apparently, like, because you're in that post-Reconstruction era, black people are still effectively barred from voting through voter suppression. So it was never really an issue for him politically. Interesting. Okay, so he you can't paint him necessarily as like a civil rights champion. I would not, no. I think it's just like, it didn't come into play for him. Okay, yeah. So I guess he he gets credit for not being a complete racist asshole. <laughs> Essentially, yes. But that's, yeah. Yeah, no, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't say, hey, great job, you know. All right, so back to his run for governor. He ends up losing this first race. It was the only race he ever lost. But he still got 31% of the vote, which is, like, pretty big for coming in third place. Oh, a a three-way race? It was the primary. But it was like, you weren't going to really run against anybody for real, so... Because it was like a one-party state situation. Because it's like the South at that time, it was just solid Democratic. It's like now it's, you know, fairly solid Republican. I believe that's true, yeah. Okay. Overall, he underperformed in urban areas, um, and he also blamed the rain because... At the time, Louisiana, like, basically did not have many paved roads outside, oh. like, the city. Yeah. At the time, actually, they only had 300 miles of cement roads. Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's nothing. The That's whole state. That's a different era, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, well, it rained, and so, like, you know, country folk couldn't travel. Yeah. Oh, man. How many, like, votes did he lose by if he was bl- down to blaming rain? That's... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> No idea, but I mean, it was funny, like in the documentary, they were interviewing people and someone was like, yeah, we took a a speedboat out to go vote for him. We did like 10 miles in the speedboat and then we walked and like they were traveling. Wow. (laughs) Well, yeah, you had to go to the county seat in a lot of places, I think. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Well, sucks for him. He lost. It's cool. He does it again. Oh, he doesn't lose again. He runs again in 1928. All right. Back at it. If at first you don't succeed. So, new campaign, new slogan. This is where he starts his every man a king, but no one wears a crown slogan, which is barred, I mean, just lifted straight up, from William Jennings Bryan, who is like kind of another populist figure. Yeah, William Jennings Bryan, people know him from the Scopes trial, <laughs> which is where he's, he's later <laughs> in his life and he's, he's not so hot. Um, But before then, they know him from the famous election. He ran against William McKinley in 1896. Mm, Okay. And it was like this whole, he was super populist. The populist party endorsed him, even though he was the Democratic nominee. And he was like, you know, saying, oh, these people want to do the gold standard. They don't give a shit about the common people, all this sort of stuff. So this is a term we've used a few times now, which is populist. And I was like, I've heard this used a lot. Specifically, I've heard it for using it to define like Donald Trump. And so I was like, okay, what is a populist? Just a basic definition. It's just someone who is trying to appeal to ordinary people who Mm -hmm. feel like elite groups are, are leaving them out. 
And I'm like, that sounds good. <laughs> it is, I think, in that definition. And I think it's used in the media to kind of denigrate mass appeals mm-hmm. in popular discourse. So, so they'll say, oh, this is bad because it's populist. You need to listen to the experts who say that, you know, liberal democracy is what you want to do. And It um, sounds like super hipster. Like, I don't like it because everyone else likes it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's also very... It's intellectual. It's patronizing, mm-hmm. I think. Like, because it's like, listen, that sounds nice. Oh, why don't we give people things? But like, <laughs> you don't really know. You know, that's actually a bad idea. You know, like it's, it's tries to be professorial, I guess. Or it's like these these masses don't know any better. The, your betters know best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and in some ways, that's I think can be correct like for example okay you know the masses that do support donald trump like you know they were very like they did a lot of racist (laughs) stuff you know and the populist party like had nativist style or like Mm. you know they had some bad stripes in there uh it's it wasn't 100 percent a good thing and populism isn't always but i think that it's also used to kind of say appealing to the masses is you know, bad, it's vulgar, it's, you know, mm-hmm. not something we want, even though, you know, we as you know Marxists would, would, would disagree. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting tension. Because yeah, I definitely have picked up on that kind of like, racialized connotation of the word. And now it's like, Oh, fuck, is this guy like a straight racist? And it's like, mm. it doesn't seem like it. But also, like, we talk a lot about how like, yeah, the people should be in charge. And it's like, man, what if everyone's an asshole? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, I, I think that's something I worry about because like if if we're talking about majority rules like that explicitly then will leave out minorities and that is concerning yeah and okay this is where i think that the tendency of like marxist leninist or maoist sort of idea of having a dedicated professional political party a vanguard party of some sort you know a communist party that knows about it right Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, well, we got to be intersectional. We know how that's like an important, you know, it, our struggles have to be united to liberate people. They can't let, you know, it just devolve into, oh, let's focus only on capitalism and ignore racism, right? Mm-hmm. And the, you know, like the mass line idea of get input from the people and then that important step of like putting it into theory and then giving it back, right? Like you don't just want to, fix what people tell you to fix because what if they ignore the plight of the minorities and and, and everything uh or other or, or whatever oppressed groups there are you, you know you can't just do that like you have to also try to address these address other issues yeah that that makes sense i i also wonder if even the very act of revolution if you have a big enough solidarity between different groups in that would then help inform like mm. your system later on, like people be like, well, those people did fucking like fight for me and do a great job. Like maybe I shouldn't be assholes to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that would be a big catalyst. Mm-hmm. We saw that also in the examples when we were doing our disability justice episode, right. Mm-hmm. Um, of people with different disabilities, people who were uniting with, with other groups uh, representing, you know, racial minorities or women's rights groups or or the queer community rights groups like 
realizing, hey, we're all oppressed by the same asshole, right? This is one of our, <laughs> this is another t-shirt slogan is, Definitely. Uh, it's, uh, it's the same bad guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's the big, bad, evil guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, recognizing a common enemy and realizing that, hey, we're stronger together, so why shouldn't we fight for, you know, it's not fighting for someone else's rights to have it better than me. It's fighting for their rights so we can all work together. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so tangent. sorry, that's a tangent about populism and all kinds of stuff. But back to Long, he's hitting the campaign trail. He's mm-hmm. given speeches. He's this is where he makes up a lot of his mean nicknames for people. Oh yeah. <laughs> he um, he basically promises a shit ton of stuff for Louisiana. He's saying roads, bridges, hospital care, education, like all kinds of stuff. Right. I like it. Okay, cool. Pretty engaging stuff. Learning from last time, he specifically campaigns for Catholic senators in order to get more of the Catholic vote. Okay. Smart, smart. Yeah. I mean, your counties are called parishes there, so I would imagine the Catholic vote is <laughs> kind of substantial. Important. He travels everywhere, uh, especially to rural areas. He's printing out flyers. He's one of the first campaigners in the country to use sound trucks, which look like just a truck with a giant speaker on it, if you don't know what that is. Oh, yeah. I love these things. <laughs> like an ice cream truck, but for politics. Yeah. <laughs> he did radio ads and just was like everywhere. And, you know, there's lots of footage of him speaking at these really small town events, just like standing on the steps of the building. and Like he's just surrounded by people. Wild time. I mean, you were yeah. just just right <laughs> up there in it, you know, way less produced and stuff, I guess, than nowadays. Yeah, he never spoke with notes. He was very just like charming and very much, I mean, again, down home country guy, but like just a plain talker. Like his, like I watched some of the speeches in the documentary and like he was funny. Like he was very charming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was a contentious election. At one point he ran into the incumbent in a hotel lobby and Parker Uh called Long a liar. So Long punched him in the face. Uh, (laughs) This guy is like 60 something years old too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh shit so, yeah uh aggressive <laughs> that's great you imagine a governor's race today and one of them gets <laughs> punched in the face that'd be fun it works out though he received 43.9 percent of the vote the largest margin in state history and went on to win the general with 96 percent of the vote and became the youngest governor of louisiana at 35 years old whoa Damn. Yeah. Barely old enough to be president. Right? <laughs> okay. So, governorship. How does that go? Let's get into it. How does it go? This is where things get a little messy. <laughs> okay. In what way? <laughs> well, I have mixed feelings about it, and we'll talk about it probably at the end. But what he does is he fires a bunch of people who don't like him and establishes mm-hmm. it, and which, like, is normal. Like, everyone does that. <laughs> yeah. Like, every administration is like, all right, your people are out, my people are in. Like, that's just what, like, executive branches do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He then goes on to establish basically a patronage system. Okay. <laughs> so he would hire someone, like, at the state level, and they would have to pay a portion of their salary that would go into uh, basically his campaign fund. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of places, that's, like, illegal. <laughs> Apparently, it wasn't illegal. Like, I didn't yeah. find that it was illegal. That's pr- <laughs> it probably wasn't. We, we think of, 
kind of good government laws or ethics laws and stuff. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are pretty modern <laughs> inventions in terms of the American political system. Like even the secret ballot is a pretty mm-hmm. modern invention. Uh, you know, elections used to be basically festival affairs and you'd show up and each side would be electioneering right up to the point, you know, and they'd, it'd be like a party. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be like, come on, come vote for our guy. You know, here's your ballot. That's all like it says, vote for this party. Like it used to be very, you know, so this notion of like impartiality or whatever is, is not something new. they were working with. So that's, that's funny though. Just give me a little bit of your, of the money I'm paying you, right? Like payback. <laughs> yeah. He would get between 50 and 75 K each election cycle from this system. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So he had a big old treasure chest incumbent advantage there. <laughs> Definitely. So, and, and we'll talk about this a little later, but I just, I think it's really interesting the way he is so, he's so smart about using system. Like one guy in the documentary was like, no, Huey Long didn't break the law. He used the law. He understood it to the point where he knew how to get around it. And if he didn't find a way to get around it, he would just make a new fucking law. (laughs) Dude, that's that's kind of some lawful evil vibes there. It's very lawful evil. (laughs) The rare sighting. So, yeah, in that spirit, he was super aggressive about getting bills passed. He would just show up on the floor, like, unannounced. Basically, it was a big party whip, which was like, you're going to fucking pass this, okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So, strong man in it. Definitely. Well, he shows up. I mean, why? how could he convince people to do what he told them to do? Was it like, <laughs> everybody loves me, so do what I say? Or It was very much like, do this, and I'll hire someone you know for this job. Like, it was very bribing. Mm, okay, so <laughs> basically they were maintaining patronage systems, too. And so he's like, you're, you're either going to do what I say, or you won't get to promise people anything definitely yeah like it was very much a just an exchange Mm -hmm. um that's kind of how he ran things what a tactic (laughs) i mean it fucking worked is the thing Mm -hmm. and some good shit came out of it so let's get into that okay first was his free textbook program and this was surprisingly controversial shouldn't be i guess but (laughs) It was. <laughs> Who needs textbooks? Well, the problem was, remember all those Catholics? Mm-hmm. They were pretty pissed because they all went to private schools, and they saw this as a violation of the separation of church and state. Why? Because he was going to give everyone free textbooks, regardless of whether you went to private or public school. He's just going to be like, every child gets textbooks. Yeah. And they're like, um, no, we have our own textbooks. We don't want these. <laughs> Which I'm oh. like, couldn't you just not use them? Like, whatever. So he was going to give them state of Louisiana textbooks, but they were Mm -hmm. like, no, we want Jesus Inc. textbooks. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I didn't find anything that was specifically about like what the differences were. But yeah, it was just. Okay. I think they just did not like him being in their business of education at all. Hmm. Yeah. So this went to the Supreme Court and long won. And it resulted in a 20% increase in school enrollment because remember, like, a lot of people were illiterate and part of the reason was you had to pay for textbooks mm, and that was yeah he had to suffer through this as in on his own right like mm-hmm. for college yeah yeah so but they had to pay for even like in public school like in like k-12 through damn uh it's not it's like insane. that anymore y'all like, no it's not 
you just just show up bring yourself that's <laughs> that's it i i don't know when we were growing up i felt like there was a little bit more impelling you to like bring supplies but it's very much on the school system now like you're encouraged to bring supplies but mm-hmm. at least where i've worked i work tend to work in title one which are kind of uh you know lower economic status schools so mm-hmm. a lot of our kids come like without supplies and that's just normal expected and it's just like I know, I, it's I, fucking know, fine yeah it's like <laughs> i don't you know, no one really judges them or you shouldn't anyway i'm just like hey you know here's some paper here's a pencil just you know basically just let me know when you end up in that situation but yeah yeah i mean it's it's like a job if you need something for your job they should give it to you <laughs> yeah yeah but that was apparently not how it was before it was not huey long stepped in there all right the kids like loved him for this apparently after he died like in some rural areas of Louisiana, like kids still believed he was alive and also that he was president. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So the kids loved him. He was, yeah, he's popular. <laughs> yeah, I love that, that fantasy world. He built a ton of shit. He built roads, um, 111 bridges, he built hospitals, schools. Um, remember those 300 miles of paved roads? Mm-hmm. He increased that to 2,300 miles. Wow. And built a total of 9,700 miles of new roads in general. So I guess those weren't necessarily paved. Yeah. He paved over some like muddy dirt roads that prevented his voters from going to the polls. (laughs) He's like, next time I got him. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. And this provided tons of jobs and this was like in the great depression. So yeah, 10% of the nation's highway workers were in Louisiana at the time. Wow. This is interesting. Cause like, you know, nowadays, I mean, we're recording this, fresh on the heels of the UN report that says like the (laughs) the earth is fucked but can we like make it less fucked if we have international coordination immediately uh Mm -hmm. doesn't look likely um (laughs) but you know there's okay well anyone who goes out you know on the roads in the United States like yeah they need like repairs and stuff like that (laughs) um but I don't know I guess like it's the solution or whatever to infrastructure isn't necessarily building more roads and making everything more car friendly. But like, think about his time roads, you know, didn't even necessarily weren't even being used by cars a hundred percent of the time. It was just like, literally, how can I get from point A to point B, even if I'm walking, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, Like there were still like horse and buggy stuff going on for poor people. So yeah, definitely. It was just about connecting the state in a way that made more sense for people. mm -hmm, Yeah. He was also obsessed with LSU. <laughs> he got weirdly involved. Okay. Not just like getting them more money, but... He got them more money, for sure. Okay. He was super invested in their football program, like went to every game, fucking composed their fight song. Wow. <laughs> he arranged for cheaper train fare so that students could go to away games for like cheap. All right. Louisiana State. Let me see what their fight song is. I bet it's good. He had some good bangers. Like, his fucking Wikipedia page has, like, compositions as a section. And I heard a few of them. They were good. <laughs> yeah, I used to know more fight songs back when they made NCAA football games. Like, mm, Yeah. All right. I know. I remember that one. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Is it a banger? <laughs> Cut that. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. Um, he built new buildings. He founded their medical school. He lowered tuition and established lots of scholarship programs. But he also expelled some students who criticized him in the school fucking newspaper. What? Just (laughs) kick them out immediately? 
Yeah, yeah. Wow. Imagine the governor kicking you out of your college. <laughs> like, can you even do this? <laughs> wow. That's a little petty. Yeah, he has some weird relationships with journalists. <laughs> well, I mean, he's kind of bossing, you know, state legislatures around. So journalists, I mean, psh. they don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> He modernizes public health facilities and, like, increases treatment for mentally ill patients. Mm -hmm. He establishes Louisiana's first rehab program for penitentiary inmates. He waived property taxes for half of Louisiana's homeowners by, like, messing with the tax code. Mm -hmm. He established night schools, which taught 100,000 adults to read. Oh, wow. Increasing that literacy rate. Cool. So, yeah, cool stuff. Cool programs. Mm -hmm. Let's get to the bad stuff. Because there was some bad stuff. So he was doing some good things, building things for people, getting people literacy, getting people access to education. What did he, what did he do that wasn't so good? Well, he sent the National Guard <laughs> to raid gambling dens and brothels, I guess, in New Orleans with orders to shoot on site. I guess he was like, I'm shutting this shit down. Whoa. He was really aggro about it for some reason. <laughs> Should just shoot on site? And basically, he was just like, close him down with orders to, quote, shoot without hesitation. So he sent them to raid it. And let's see, gambling equipment was burned. Prostitutes were arrested. $25,000 was confiscated for government funds. <laughs> oh, he just took the money. <laughs> he just like, just wanted to shut it down because it was immoral or whatever but like yeah very shitty uh yeah that's that's kind of strong-handed <laughs> you think yeah uh not a recommended course of action i don't think i don't like it high taxes on gas and cigarettes reduced uh the pension for mothers and also lowered teachers salaries so not good there either yeah i can't imagine teachers were making a whole ton of money no i don't think so no especially now that they're going to be teaching more kids who can afford to come because they got textbooks right it's like we just increased your class size by 20 percent. <laughs> now you get paid less yeah damn that sucks and this one's more just funny he built a new governor's mansion that like highly resembled the white house and he was like so i know my way around the place <laughs> when he ends up there <laughs> yes oh that's that's a power move that one's kind of yeah, funny that one's funny it was probably wasteful, but... I'm sure. <laughs> he also kind of enriched himself because... I mean, he didn't kind of. He did. Whenever there were state cases against corporations, he would hire himself as the attorney. Uh, <laughs> so he would just, like, pocket money from that. Did he win the cases, at least? I mean, I believe so, yeah. I mean... <laughs> that's still a power move, but that's... You know, there. I'm sure there were ethics laws <laughs> written just because of that. <laughs> Yeah, not great. So this is funny. In my notes, I have the good, the bad, the impeachment. Oh. <laughs> so let's get to that. All right. Back to our nemesis, Standard Oil. Hmm, nobody likes those guys. He tried to pass a five cent a barrel tax on refined oil production okay. to fund all of these cool social programs he was working. Yeah, and to fund his brothel strike team. Yeah, I was going to say the mansion, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, to fund the good and the bad programs. But all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got to get some money. Let's tax the oil guys. I imagine they say, sure, we welcome it. 
not quite. <laughs> they were really mad about it. And Long was definitely on the offensive. Like that was kind of his go-to thing. Was like, if I just talk shit about people, all the news will cover me and I'm really good at it. And wow. like, it, he was good at it and it worked. He basically called anyone who opposed this bill, uh, he called them out as like bought by the oil companies, which like kind of true, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it really pissed them off. So they formed something called, are you ready for this name? Yes. The Dynamite Squad. The 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 oil guys? Senators who were or the for the oil guys. Yeah. <laughs> the anti-long people. The Dynamite Squad. That's that's pretty <laughs> ominous. I mean, it really is. I would be checking under my car <laughs> if I were opposed <laughs> by the Dynamite Squad. So this was led by Cecil Morgan and Ralph Norman Bauer. They sound like jerks because they're supporting the oil companies. But like if if they were only doing that because they're like, oh, I don't know. He's bossing people around. Maybe they have a point. But So some of them did have a point. <laughs> they ended up charging him uh, with 19 charges. Spoiler, only eight of those charges stuck. Mm-hmm. But they included things like Okay, blasphemy. Who gives a fuck? I mean, clearly I don't. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Blasphemy. Nepotism. Okay. Corruption. Yeah. Subornation, which is when you basically are underhandedly inducing someone to do a crime. I guess like (laughs) suggestion of crime. (laughs) Why don't you, yeah, why don't you steal from this person? Yeah, Yeah. so subornation of murder. So he he was influencing someone to do a murder, supposedly. And throughout this, uh, his lieutenant governor supported impeachment, so it was, like, not a good look for him, you know? Mm, yeah. He would become the governor if that happened, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they bring forth impeachment charges, and Long's like, fuck. So he tries to close the session. <laughs> and and there was a controversy over how this happened. The mm-hmm. voting machines showed 68 to 13 in favor of adjournment, even though, like, just kind of word on the street was that everyone kind of wanted to continue. (laughs) So people were like, oh, this is rigged. And then it led to another recurring guest on this podcast, which is a bloody Monday. (laughs) Whoa, more bloody days. What happened to get it bloody? People were mad about like the way that vote turned out and they thought it was rigged. And so they threw inkwells, brass knuckles, and Long's brother bit someone in the neck. Holy shit. He did a Suarez move. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they they had a full on. They had a fucking scuffle. Yeah. Jeez. (laughs) Bench clearing brawl. Yeah. Very ridiculous. Again, imagine if that happened. (laughs) I mean, that does happen in some countries. Oh, yeah. You'll see it in the news or whatever. Some parliament people just boxing, basically. (laughs) But... Wow. Uh, and I mean, you know, it's, 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 this isn't to say that it has never happened here. I mean, people have pulled guns on people on the Senate yeah, floor and yeah. beaten the shit out of people with canes. So that is true. So after that, after they, they settled down with some ice packs, they voted to remain in session and they ended up impeaching him for eight out of the 19 charges. And, um, Long was really pissed. And so he's like, fuck you guys. This is all because of Standard Oil. Like, you know, very much conspiracy kind of mm, guy. Yeah. And so he ended up getting enough senators on his side. So he, he they needed the two-thirds majority to convict. And so he got just enough to sign a document that says, I will not convict. And so he basically shot down the proceedings. 
Damn. And later rewarded those senators with positions and other favors. So <laughs> I was wondering what he had to promise them to get that. So Yeah, I don't know specifically, but very much was like, hey, do this for me. I'll scratch your back. <laughs> they ended up, yeah, taken care of. <laughs> and then now you have a very pissed off Huey. He starts firing people, uh, opponents, people who stood against him, you know, fired their relatives from state jobs, mm. supported their challengers in elections. He hired bodyguards for himself because he got a little paranoid. Yeah, I mean, Dynamite Squad again. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> and he established his own newspaper to combat the, quote, lying press. And um, at first it's called the Louisiana Progress. He later changes that to the American Progress whenever he wants a more national audience. So. Ah. I was going to say, he's, he's, we've seen that this tactic um, can be kind of effective in the modern world, too, of, of targeting your enemies and just saying, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're making everything up. They're all in the pocket of mm-hmm. whoever. Uh, you know, you can only get the truth from me, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, he you know, clearly did have enemies here in terms, of, in terms of the oil companies and stuff, but it's very much an us-them sort of situation. Yeah, I I think it's interesting. Like, one thing I kept bumping up against in the documentary, and keep in mind this documentary is by Ken Burns. (laughs) Mm. They interviewed some journalists, and this one journalist woman in particular, her name is Betty Hodding Carter. Mm -hmm. She was the wife to William Hodding Carter, who was a journalist as well. Mm -hmm. And she was, like, so obsessed with process in a way Mm. that like really bothered me (laughs) yeah like all she could talk about was like yeah i like the textbook program but i don't like how he did it and like was very much upset about how he's doing things but like as i was watching the documentary and as i was doing research i'm like i think everybody did this like we just talked about how louisiana was like old guard politicians like who Mm -hmm. definitely was just like an old man club like I I think it's funny that that's when you start getting mad about that. (laughs) Kind of throughout American history, you know, in this case at the state level, but in the national level too. I mean, people were always like pushing the envelope on what they could do. Just straight breaking laws, really. Mm -hmm. People, liberals nowadays like to be all, like you said, all about the process. But I mean, some of the biggest things and, you know, they're not great, but like, some of the major things that we look at in American history were just like, you know, a president saying like, fuck it, I'm going to buy the Louisiana purchase. Like, (laughs) okay. uh, Or fuck it. I'm going to do whatever, you know, they just make a decision and do it and then worry about it later. It really seems like people get hung up on the process more when it's doing things for people who aren't traditionally served by the system. Yeah, definitely. And like, it was very frustrating just to hear that over and over from this one woman, another guy they interviewed too kind of was similar. And then I later, I looked him up mm-hmm. and he was Cecil Morgan, the guy who led the fucking impeachment effort. Oh. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. I was like, why didn't you give us that context, bro? Yeah. <laughs> but another journalist, I can't remember this one's name, but I remember he said something like, you know, he basically figured out that he couldn't do the things he wanted to do because of special interests. And so he's like, fuck it, I'll break the rules. Yeah. Like, I'll play the same game and, and beat them at it. Yeah. that's and, and, and that's when they get mad, you know. It's like, oh, you're you're doing what we do, but for someone else, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I've, I have mixed feelings about it. Because, like, obviously, yeah, ideally we have an ethical politician. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you're trying to work within that system, that's just not possible. It's like what people say about, 
you know, oh, why don't you go peacefully protest? It's like, if you use the means <laughs> that people allow you to use, like they allowed you to use it for a reason. They don't think it's going to work, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Moving on. After this whole debacle, this is when he gets the nickname, the Kingfish. Is that just because he's large and in charge or? So it's actually named after a character in a radio program, Amos and Andy. Hmm. And it was like this scheming guy uh, <laughs> ah. called the Kingfish. And actually, this guy is where we get the the phrase, holy mackerel. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> So, feeling big and powerful after this shutdown of impeachment, he decides to run for Senate and is basically using it as like a referendum. Like, all right, you guys think I, I'm not cool? I'm going to run for Senate and prove that everyone likes my shit. Ah, okay. And because like it was an off year, like he would still have two years left as governor. Mm-hmm. And he said if he lost the Senate race, he would resign as governor. Whoa, that's a yeah. promise. So, he was running against Joseph E. Ransdell, a Catholic who, uh, you remember when he, when he endorsed all those Catholics? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it was one of those. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, by now, he was like, nah, just kidding. Ransdell's not great. <laughs> yeah. This guy, super fucking old, had been in the Senate since Long was four years old. Uh, oh, this wow. is the guy he calls Old Feather Duster. also the documentary showed like illustrations from his newspapers and they were fucking hilarious like his cartoonist was on point (laughs) he at one point drew like all these people as vultures it was very cool what is i'm still trying to like okay why is someone old a feather duster i don't get it i think it's because he's like a dusty old man Mm, okay like someone needs to take a feather duster to him because he's oh i just thought like feather dusters are dusty yeah. Oh, okay. I was thinking like he's accumulated all this duster. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, point is <laughs> old. <laughs> yeah. Old, uh, very entrenched, like all the state and all the papers in the state, like really liked him. But you know, Huey was like, fuck it. I'm going to do this. He bought two more sound trucks, printed 2 million flyers and maybe did a kidnapping. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> what? <laughs> so there was a critic, Sam Irby. And he was set to testify on Long's corruption charges. Uh And right before the election, he uh, took a vacation for four days. Okay. And then what happened? Where'd he go on vacation? Well, that's the thing. We don't know. Okay. (laughs) Afterwards, he claimed that he had asked Long for protection. But everyone was like, I'm pretty sure you just kidnapped that man so he wouldn't say shit about you before the election. So. mm. And then they let him know what was up and. I mean, they plausibly could have threatened the fuck out of this guy. Threatened to make him join the Dynamite Club, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It did work. He won 57.3% to 42.7%. There were some accusations of voter fraud. To be fair, everybody was voter frauding back then, pretty much. That was really widespread. (laughs) (laughs) They had votes in, like, alphabetical order, along Mm -hmm. with some celebrity appearances like Charlie Chaplin and Babe Ruth. Damn, he got some cool endorsements. (laughs) They traveled down to Louisiana (laughs) just to vote for him. Yeah, well-known Louisiana and Charlie Chaplin. (laughs) Okay, one more note, though. To be fair, Mm -hmm. people named people whatever back then. So that could have (laughs) literally been... You just named your baby, baby. Yeah, Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Everyone in history, like, presidents and stuff, they tend to have normal names because they're like the wealthy upper class people mm-hmm. but all throughout history people name people ridiculous stuff so that's true that's true <laughs> <laughs> 
He was elected as senator. And remember, he still had two terms left as governor. And he was just like, you know what? I'm just going to finish up here as governor. And he said, because Rand's still so old and shitty, that seat was basically vacant anyway. So, like, whatever. <laughs> what? Okay, so he's governor and senator? Yes, he's both. And, <laughs> you know, obviously really pissed off his lieutenant governor, who was like, I would like to be in charge now, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so much so that his lieutenant governor tried to take power when he heard that Long was away in Mississippi. And so <sighs> Long sent the fucking National Guard. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, get this, this fucking trickster-ass move. He then goes to Louisiana Supreme Court and says, well, that guy abandoned his office when he was trying to take over my office. So technically, he's not lieutenant governor anymore and should be kicked out. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Insane. So he tried to kick out long, but got kicked out instead. Yes. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good move. It's ridiculous, man. He does some fucking power move shit. That's the way to handle a coup attempt, I guess. Right? (laughs) Did not stand for that. Big man in charge. He's like, fuck it. Let's go. He passes 44 bills in two hours one day. Just as like reading them back to back. Just fucking going. (laughs) Wow. This is okay. So this is a um, this is a charisma slash, I would say, intelligence build, maybe. Yeah, yeah, very smart. Like, this is super hyper-focused in (laughs) convincing people and figuring out how to get around the loopholes, you know? (laughs) Definitely. So he passes a ton of shit. At one point, he tries to build a new Capitol building. Mm -hmm. And one of the senators is like, hey, I don't want to do that. And so he drilled a hole in the current ceiling and moved that guy's seat underneath that hole so that, like, he would get rained on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, petty. He's wow. so petty. <laughs> Did they, he like super need this guy's vote for it? Or was he just being an, <laughs> I being mean, an asshole? I mean, maybe both. Guy? I don't know, but it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> well, but Jim, you see, we need this new building. I mean, you're coming in here soaked to the bone every day. <laughs> I don't know. Weird. Weird how that happened. But you say this building's fine, so I guess we'll just keep it. <laughs> Continuing on, he endorsed, you know, anyone who was pro-long, fired anyone who was anti-long. He bought people with favors and just built up a political machine. I I do want to comment on that. Yes. Is that a bad idea? Like, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's legal and it's what happens. uh, Are you expected (laughs) to endorse people who don't like you? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 again, I think the framing of him is fascinating because they... They say all this stuff and make it sound like he was the only one doing this. And I'm like, there's no fucking way. This is like the 1930s. <laughs> and also, everyone does this even today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to endorse somebody because they don't like you. I think, again, the reason that he amassed so much power and people were all of a sudden afraid of it is that he wasn't like trying to balance on top of this largely like popular, you know, unpopular with the masses sort of system like you know he wasn't just trying to because all right you said the the other guys are doing it too Mm -hmm. but they are from this like small little elite group that is really just vying for convincing people to vote for them anyway even though they're not going to do anything for them yeah i I think that's the the concern is that he's he's following the rules but he's benefiting the wrong people (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so then he 
by doing that, he shows up not only manipulating it to where he gets support from a certain part of that upper class, but then he's getting mass support from all these poor people that he's helping. And they're like, what the fuck? How is he so powerful? Like That's what scares him. I yeah. think. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's built a machine. What, what time period are we talking about at that time? Um, we're in like the early 1930s. I think this is 1932. Okay. He attempted to make something called a cotton holiday. Which sounds like a fun festival. Like, I don't know, I'm going to get some jeans or something. <laughs> the or... Cotton Fair. Okay. <laughs> sounds Texas as fuck, but. So he wanted to stop production for an entire year internationally. Ooh, because, okay. again, we're in the Great Depression and he's like, we got to do something about like these prices. Let's figure mm. it out. Yeah. Uh, there was too much cotton on the market. Let's raise prices by not producing cotton for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this was a pretty, like, innovative idea at the time. Like, people credit him with, like, yeah, not a lot of people were doing that. Okay. He put together a conference with delegates from every cotton-producing state, and everyone was into it except, would you like to guess? Mm, Mississippi. It was us. It was Texas. Texas. <laughs> and we were, like, one of the larger states, so when we rejected it, it flopped. We're going to have to rename the Cotton Bowl. We can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, right. Everyone will forget about the cotton bowl. <laughs> so Texas rejected it. And so then it, it got rejected overall. Because they, they like had an agreement like, we'll only do it if everyone signs on. So, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it would have been good. I don't know. Not sure. Don't know enough about that kind of economics shit. <laughs> We're Marxists. We're not that kind of economics <laughs> people. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So now he officially goes to Washington at one point in the documentary, they talk about his style of dress and like, this guy sounds very fashionable. <laughs> what was he wearing? He rocked a white linen suit all the time. All right. Even after Labor Day? Oh, yeah. He did not care. <laughs> <laughs> they described it as garish, but I'm like, I think you guys are just not fashion innovators because he uh. would wear like colored shirts with like a different color tie. And like, oh. it sounded great. I'm like, this guy sounds fabulous. It's very Better Call Saul style. like A little bit. Yeah. That's okay. So that is considered garish. Washington D.C. Those guys all wear like blue Black. suits, white or light blue shirt, uh, solid tie. You know, I mean, they're, they're boring as fuck. So yeah, I mean, I love a, a pale orange with a paisley tie. Like, sure, that'd be great. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, snappy dresser. Um, so he finally goes to Washington, and you know, again in the Great Depression, and he is stirring up shit. What's he do? He makes a ton of speeches about wealth inequality and basically is just naming names, calling people out for supporting Hoover and big business. And he's just mm. fucking mad. All right. So he's doing the Bernie Sanders before Bernie Sanders was cool. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> All of this kind of for nothing. None of his bills passed. Like literally none. <laughs> so he was not that effective, you would say? I would say not yeah. in the traditional sense. <laughs> was he at least like uh, reaping popularity or was it? More yes. or less just, okay. So he, he was building up a national base, but wasn't fucking actually doing anything? I would say, yeah. That's why I said in the traditional sense. He was very influential, which we'll talk about. Okay. But I thought this quote was funny. Another senator said, I do not believe you could get the Lord's Prayer endorsed in this body. <laughs> <laughs> if, if he was in favor of it, like, mm -hmm. he'd be like, I don't know now. <laughs> uh, well, that's interesting. He's sort of, in that way, then kind of a precursor of more modern senatorial style of, you know, cause some of these guys, like they have, they basically just are, have a national platform, but they, 
you know, they don't do a lot. They're just there. Mm-hmm. They're just there to start shit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just to get stuff on the docket. Mm-hmm. One thing he did was endorse Hattie Carraway for senator of Arkansas. She was a widow. And back then, if, I mean, it still happens today, actually. If, if a senator dies, like, sometimes the widow will be appointed. Mm, yeah. So she served out that term, and now she was running, like, on her own accord. Ah, and okay. so he went on the campaign trail for her and is largely credited with her win. Oh, cool. She actually was the first woman elected to a full term in Senate. Wow. I don't know if she was any good, so I can't speak to that, but cool. Ah, mixed bag. Uh, yeah. Supporter of the New Deal. Nice. You know, that kind of stuff. Relief for farmers, flood control. But also filibustered against an anti-lynching bill, so. Well, you can take the girl out of Arkansas. Can't take the Arkansas out of the girl. Also, Huey was rowdy. He was a rowdy boy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what, did he, what did he get up to? Um, there was this story of this one time he got so drunk he like was really rude to this woman like kind of he took a plate out of her hands and was like you don't need that you're fat like fuck that damn and then a guy was like hey like you don't do that and so he peed on that guy pissed on him wow and then the dude gave him a black eye so good (laughs) yeah he deserved it yeah what an asshole yeah, he did some shit, man. He was just a rowdy. Like they talk a lot about his relationship with alcohol. Like he just he was on again, off again. Mm, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we get to Roosevelt. Okay. Long opposed the National Recovery Act, which we've talked about, I believe, on this show. Mm, yeah. He thought that it was too lenient on industrialists and. He wanted to be able to confirm the senior employees of this because, you know, he's used to his little patronage system. <laughs> okay, yeah. He, why did he think it was too lenient on industrial? Just because it, like, maintained the uh, capital system overall? or No, I th- he said it had to do with wage and price codes. Mm, yeah. So I guess he didn't think it was, like, far enough. Yeah, I can see. Okay, so he's, he's saying, like, it still leaves enough in their pockets to... Mm-hmm. That, that kind of makes sense. It was pretty moderate. People at the time didn't think it was moderate, but... (laughs) I'm sure not. It kind of was. He claimed it had, quote, every fault of socialism, but not one of its virtues. Huh. That's an interesting... Yeah, right? Perspective. Yeah. I have a section later where I just kind of want to talk about what we think his views are. So, Mm -hmm. well, that quote, save that. Bookmark it. (laughs) Remember. He went on a 15 and a half hour filibuster, which was the second longest at the time. He filled some of this time by reading the Constitution out loud and giving recipes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, kind of the dipshit sometimes. <laughs> he criticized Social Security because he was worried it would be discriminatory to black people, which, like, good call. Mm. He did another filibuster against basically what was the precursor to the Glass-Steagall Act. Um, he later supported it when they changed some stuff. Okay, yeah. I think he he initially liked Roosevelt, but once he's in, you know, he's he's turn, he's basically anti-New Deal once it starts happening. He basically is the only guy really pushing on the New Deal from the left. Mm, okay. <laughs> like, that is definitely his position in this. Um, uh, in Washington. I mean, there, in you Washington. Know, there was like the Communist Party and stuff. But, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which we'll talk about that, too. Okay. But yeah, he canvassed hard for Roosevelt in 1932. And a lot of people credited his nomination to him. Mm. He was kind of expecting a big like speaking spot on that, but like only got a very small Midwestern tour. And he's like, hey, what the fuck? Yeah. 
And, but yeah, overall, he was very much pushing from the left and just like, why aren't we doing more? Absolutely calling him out to the point where like FDR was kind of worried about him. <laughs> mm. Like as a challenger? Definitely. At one point, he calls him like the most powerful man besides, oh, what's the guy that was in the Pacific? Mac- MacArthur? No. Douglas MacArthur? Yeah, that guy. Oh, okay. So yeah, he was intimidated for sure. Yeah, MacArthur was like uh, the... You know, one of the few figures it's I guess we, we didn't really go through that kind of Napoleonic phase of like <laughs> a general could take over, you know, but <laughs> Yeah, he could have done it. Yeah. <laughs> All this in mind, you know, his uncomfortableness with his popularity, he started kinda trying to undermine him. FDR did. Mm, okay. He put Long's opponents in charge of federal programs in Louisiana, which obviously he was not a fan mm. of because he very much still had his finger on the pie over there. Yeah. He supported an inquiry into election fraud for one of Long's friends. And finally, he got the IRS to investigate him, which is one of like the first incidences of that being used like politically. Yeah, well, the uh, IRS. I guess it was new. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to. It had been around a while, but it was the federal government was ballooning in size at the time. So mm-hmm. the IRS would have been a small fry thing before that time. Yeah. Um, he didn't get any charges on him, but some of his friends got, like, charged with tax evasion. So That's still weakening to him because he should have been able to protect him. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very undercutting. At one point, he was supposed to be making a statement on the Platt Amendment, which was basically negotiating conditions for withdrawing from Cuba mm-hmm. and, like, the continued withdrawing after the Spanish-American War. Yeah. Long got up there and was like, I'm not here to talk about that. I want to talk about the Chaco War. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I mean, it's Latin American, right? Yeah, same thing. Um, but, I mean, this was cool. He basically was like, hey, fuck this. Um, so the Chaco War was, was a conflict between Bolivia and Paraguay. I believe this is mentioned in Open Veins? Yes, it is. Okay, that's what I thought. I'm like, this story sounds familiar for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Long was like, hey, Paraguay should own the oil. Standard Oil is just backing these revolutions, and they started this war with Paraguay. And... He, this is where we get that quote where he calls them domestic murderers, foreign murderers, international conspirators. Um, yep. Just really takes him to fucking task. He was right. Yeah. And um, he became a hero in Paraguay and they named a captured Bolivian fort after him, Fort Long. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> what a namesake. Like, just geographically, that's wild. Right? <laughs> like, that's how internationally known he was. Yeah. He was very, like, isolationist he was against the spanish-american war and world war one he just was like these are wall street's wars fuck that he demanded independence for philippines and opposed entry into the world court for the united states so so that's interesting you know uh, isolationism gets a bad rap because it makes it sound like you are fine with fascists taking over you know Mm because that's also the term you would use for like people who are against American entry into World War Two and stuff. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I, I think that's, again, an interesting characterization of things that like are pretty good. Like, yeah, we should be for independence for the Philippines. <laughs> yeah. Like he was, I think at the time may have been considered like anti-imperialist, you know, didn't Definitely. want to go take over this shit. And he correctly recognizes these wars as being like puppets for companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is where we get into the Share Our Wealth program. This one has a great name. So I think I'm for it. <laughs> Great name, pretty good. Um, that's my review. All right. 
<laughs> so this came out in 1934. It had kind of a precursor, but it doesn't super matter the details of that. If you want it, they're in the notes on the Patreon. But the program itself, he announced on a nationwide radio broadcast. So the the skinny on this is basically, we're going to start capping money. <laughs> you can't make too much money. Yes. A maximum income. Listen to these numbers. They are amazing. <laughs> all right. I love the idea, first of all, a maximum income. I mean, it's not 100% because, like, I mean, so many of the richies now are, like, paid in not in mm-hmm. you know wages but we could figure that out too yeah yeah there's so many like assets and like secret bank accounts and shit oh yeah yeah that'd be a whole nother thing <laughs> but <laughs> in this this one we are capping fortunes at 50 million dollars what was this 1934 1934 1934 how much 50 million yes let's find out the exchange rate there <laughs> i guess that's not what that's called inflation rate <laughs> it is exchange rate if you get a time machine <laughs> 2021, 1934, that's a billion dollars. That's like so good. So he was just like no billionaires, basically. That's so reasonable. Billionaires should not exist. He was Bernie before Bernie. Essentially, (laughs) yes. He had a progressive tax code in this. If you made over a million dollars, you'd be taxed at 1%, 2 million, 2%, etc. It would cap individual inheritances, I believe at 5 million. Some of these numbers shift around as he like kind of keeps talking about these plans um you know later he raises that cap to anywhere between like 1 million and 15 million so like i don't don't consider him a numbers guy definitely not a wonk he's just like we people should have less money like fuck that (laughs) so five million dollar inflate uh inheritance is a hundred million dollars which is like a lot of dollars still like you'll be fine (laughs) that's so good though like that would be crazy yeah okay right also this is not like obviously this isn't uh, real socialism or communism or anything. This is just, you know, redistribution crudely yeah. under capitalism. But like, still, this would be... This would be huge. Yeah. <laughs> if someone suggested this today, they would get shot. <laughs> <laughs> the funds from this would basically go to UBI. A 5K single payment and a minimum annual income of 2 to 3K, um, which would be about a third of the average family homestead value and income. So just like basic shit <laughs> a five thousand dollar a single payment single and then payment. you get annual income of two to three thousand all right five thousand is a hundred thousand dollars that's a lot then two thousand dollars is forty thousand dollars that's not that bad i get paid forty thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. and i already got paid a hundred thousand a hundred thousand dollars to like you know buy a house or whatever you need to do invest it retire on it yeah damn Pretty good. Yeah. That's not all. Oh, all right. What else? We are supplementing this program with free college, admission based on an IQ test, which is like, I kind of get, but like also IQ test is a historically bad thing. Yeah, that's, (laughs) that may be, you know, what they thought was good then, but uh, admissions, you know, some sort of admissions process. But if you can get in, it's free. If you didn't want to do that, there's vocational training. Veterans benefits, federal assistance to farmers, massive public works projects, increased to pension. Here's where it gets mm, juicy, chef's kiss. Oh, month vacation for every worker. Whoa. <laughs> A month. This is uh, real welfare state shit. This is some French shit. Like, have you seen like tweets about like people in France like, bye, I'm gone for a month. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, in Europe in general. Yeah. 
Yeah, just in Europe in general, yeah. Yeah, what you get, it's probably only for like the professional class and not everyone can do that. I'm we, sure. We're not sure. We know. We don't know about the intricacies of it, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Limit the work week to 30 hours a week. 30 hour work week. Damn. Yeah. Free medical service and a war on disease, which would in- incorporate the Mayo Brothers from like the Mayo Clinic. Hmm, yeah. And some land reclamation to end the Dust Bowl. Wow. So, I mean, they did some of that. Like, you know, they did huge land conservation and reclamation projects as part of the new deal for the Dust Bowl thing. That was probably stolen from him. (laughs) That is what happened. Basically, the second new deal was a direct attempt to, one, steal some thunder from Huey Long and be like, eh, he don't need to do that anymore. We already did the thing. Yeah. And two, I mean, to, like, appeal to that need. Like, there was clearly a desire for it. Yeah. I mean, that's why <laughs> he was And this so was, like, popular. a counter to those demands. That is some of the shit, man, like... <laughs> a month. I would love still to have this now. Absolutely. Like, that's... I think what's amazing about like looking into this, I'm like, these all sound good. I would like this. <laughs> yeah. Free healthcare back then. Yeah. That's what he's already saying. Yeah. Yeah. This is 1934. <laughs> Bernie before uh, was cool, man. Yeah. But I guess, I guess it was cool. People, you said he was popular at the time. People fucking loved this. Um, and he also, again, was a very good salesman. So he was talking about this constantly. He wrote a, wrote another fucking song, loves to write a song. <laughs> <laughs> he also had a campaign song too, the Every Man a King. He had a cute little song for that. My favorite part is the last bo- part where it's, uh, or in the winter time or spring, there'll be peace without end. Every neighbor or friend with every man a king cute isn't that cute uh i think there's a Cheryl wealth song too i can't remember that one but i need to bring back slogan song like uh <laughs> songs written for campaigns now they just do songs like actual mm. already songs you know yeah, but yeah back in the day they used to like write little jingles and stuff like it was very like jingle yeah sounding like it had like a little big band behind it and one of them had like a pianist guy singing it was great yeah, that was, that was, let's bring that back. <laughs> yeah. Again, very good salesman. So he like wrote a book on this. He had the song. He was doing like radio spots for it. Like mm-hmm. he was pushing this shit. He formed his own political organization, the Share Our Wealth Society. Hmm. Basically to, again, push the Dems to the left and push FDR to the left. And it was super fucking popular. In a year, they had 7.5 million members. <laughs> Wait, so you're telling me. That he was able to push the president to the left, but not by, like, joining and supporting him? <laughs> Weird, right? That's Yeah, I've never heard of this strategy. He had to be antagonistic? What? That's... Uh, <laughs> all conventional wisdom flies in the face of that. <laughs> Super weird. <laughs> Dude, this guy was so popular. They had trucks for the Senate mail. One out of the two trucks was just for his mail. <laughs> Oh, so I just imagine the poor other senators standing there with their hands in their pockets, like anything for me. Not today. It's all Hueys. <laughs> and they're just like hauling bags to Huey Long's office. He's like Santa Claus. <laughs> he was the third most photographed man behind FDR and Charles Lindbergh. Wow. Okay, that's a crew. Because Charles yeah, right. Lindbergh was uh, <laughs> quite on the other side. Of- Absolutely. <laughs> 
Unions were super into his shit. They're like, yeah, this sounds great. Mm-hmm. Economists, as you can imagine, were like, this is not great. <laughs> yeah. They got very hung up on the math of it, which, like, I get it. Walks. Walks gonna walk. They're like, um, this tax plan actually would only get people $400 a year. And, um, you know, the taxes would actually cap average income $3,000. And, you know, they're just ran on the parade. Yeah. Which is what they're always want to do. Yeah. It's like, Think about who becomes an economist, guys. Uh, but how are you going to pay for it? <laughs> yeah. They're the Jake Tappers of their day. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, well, I'm curious. So we talked about how that, what their reaction was. There was a pretty powerful socialist and communist current at the time. Mm-hmm. Not powerful in terms of like really wielding power, but like popular. Um, yes. What were, what were their thoughts on Mr. Long? It's interesting. Actual communists, uh, because he did not consider himself communist, and I don't think anyone would, really. But mm-hmm. um, well, I say that contemporaries th- called him a communist. <laughs> right. They said this. Yeah, this is communism. This is communist. But it's the same thing with Bernie. Is like, this is mm-hmm. not communist. This is nice <laughs> capitalism. But They even jokingly called him Karl Marx of the Hillbillies, which is a great fucking name. <laughs> Hell yeah. I want to be the Karl <laughs> Marx of the Hillbillies. That sounds great. I'm just like picturing Marx in like overalls and with like a corn cob pipe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he can keep the beard. Yeah. Overalls. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But actual communists were not into him because they didn't think it was like far enough. Mm-hmm. And they also pointed out the fact that his workers that he was like building all those roads with got paid 10 cents less than like what the NRA actually called for. Mm, okay. He's not walking the walk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, they would actually distance themselves from him, actually, by calling him fascist, which we'll get into that discussion, too, because I think that's very interesting. Huh. I wonder if that was even a good move. Like, he seems pretty popular. He might be like, no, nah, we kind of want to do what he does, but... But more? Yeah, yeah. I know. I am i don't think that was a good move either, but okay. <laughs> yeah, we got it. Well, you know, it's more important to be right than popular, I guess. That's one <laughs> of our things. <laughs> Apparently. So, during all this, busy guy making his programs he still had a finger in the pie over in louisiana Mm -hmm. he basically got a puppet governor elected his like one of his boyhood friends (laughs) (laughs) he was still showing up there and passing bills even though he had no legal authority to be there (laughs) he was just hanging out yes okay (laughs) he even passed a quote tax on lying which was a two percent tax of newspaper ad revenue so again journalists fucking hated this guy (laughs) enemies of the people (laughs) yeah not great um he was not not into the free press yeah to be fair the press is not free is touted as yeah is touted as this like unbiased whatever which Mm -hmm. it's not 100 percent you know it yeah. definitely, I mean, it caters to its, and that's, this is a big thing about manufacturing consent, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it has its interests too. Not to say we should just stifle or have just one outlet that prints the approved news or whatever, but I guess no. you can see where he's coming from in a way. I think so. Yeah. But I think he took it like a little far. <laughs> yeah. So he's still mobilizing all this power both in louisiana is very much a stronghold and now nationally with just being a popular cool guy mm-hmm. then he literally writes a book called my first days in the white house Whoa! <laughs> awesome title yeah and fdr is real worried he's like fuck he's gonna split the ticket and then you know for him the worst case scenario was he splits the ticket 
and then Republicans win and they make shit worse. And so then Long can come in and just be like absolutely in control. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, okay. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound bad. Like, cause I mean, it sounds to me, it sounds like he might be a little bossy, but like, it does sound like he'll do some cool things. That's like, the main tension I have with this figure is that, like, yeah, I don't... Again, the methods, some of them kind of suck, but, like, he's doing cool shit. But, like, does that mean I'm, like, a sellout or something that I'm willing to have, like, a benevolent dictator? But, like, I don't know, man. Mm, see, so one thing I think you would run up against is, like, it's a little harder to dictate your way on the national scene. Mm-hmm. But even if he's in the executive chair, like, like as a senator, he had... Senators have kind of a ton of power, especially back then, to, to, to cool down, and it's designed that way, to put the brakes on what the government's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So, whereas he could kind of run roughshod in Louisiana and, 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 and run it as his fiefdom, I don't know how effectively he would have been able to pull that off like at the national level. I think that's evident in like him not being able to pass anything. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Back to Louisiana. He had a lot of people there that hated him, <laughs> and they formed a new squad <laughs> called the Square Deal Association. All right, the squares, got it. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, in the New Deal, we're the Square Deal. I'm like, I know what you're trying to do, but you do just sound like nerds. That was a thing. <laughs> the Square Deal? I feel like I've heard of that. This was uh, Teddy Roosevelt's thing from back in the day. Oh. It was pretty boring, though. I mean, it was just like consumer protection, <laughs> corporation, like, regulation sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and conservation of natural resources Mm. uh not that exciting but it was a square deal i zoned out halfway through that list so (laughs) let's do a little regulation do a little yeah so you remember that five cent tax he got impeached for for standard oil yeah it finally passed (laughs) all right good and standard oil was like not good i'm gonna leave the fucking state they just they packed up their ball and went home they threatened to Oh, and okay. this really pissed off these square deal motherfuckers. So they seized a courthouse. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Just one courthouse? The main courthouse or? The East Baton Rouge Parish Courthouse. All right. So then what? in the capital. Well, okay. Then what did they do? That's a weird uh, first move. Right. Long did not fuck around. As we know, he does not take coups lightly. Mm-hmm. Sent in the National Guard or something. Absolutely. Sends in the National Guard. Uh, establishes martial law and a curfew and banned public gatherings of two or more people, forbade publication of criticisms of state officials. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I'm starting to see what Roosevelt was worried about. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. Not great. This is, yeah, again, he does dicey things. Well, okay. But an analysis of the situation he's facing, he, you know, it's not like he kept that in, in place forever. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, hey, this is an emergency. You know, I mean, they did shitty things whenever they were in the emergency of, like, the Russian Civil War or Spanish Civil You know, like when you're in a dicey situation, you do dicey things, I guess. <laughs> um, It's going to get worse, so Ooh. we'll see how you feel in a minute. Okay. <laughs> the square dealers eventually left the courthouse, but then, like, shit popped off at the airport. Mm-hmm. You know, tear gas and ammo was fired. Only one was wounded, no deaths. So that kind of calmed down a little. But Long was very pissed. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he called two special sessions in in Louisiana again, where he has no fucking jurisdiction. <laughs> oh, he just suggested it to his uh, to his puppet. 
to his friend who who just so happened to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. And he created new agencies, which he controlled through state appointments, including a state printing board that could just shut down newspapers. <laughs> okay. All right. Including election supervisors to appoint poll watchers. Okay. And a state board of censors. All right. <laughs> Censors for the press, I guess? I believe so. All right. Not good. What about this? That's uh, <laughs> heavy-handed. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I'm not into it. I'm not into it. Uh, I would be into it if this was, like, done in the context of, hey, you know, we just, you know, the people Soviet of Louisiana just took over and we're having to, like... <laughs> fight against you know reactionary like counter-revolutionaries that the rest of the united states keeps sending okay you know fine you got to do what you got to do but this, this is just a guy yeah this is just yeah him silencing critics so yeah and i mean in his mind though i think it's not that revolutionary but in his mind it's like this is standard oil fucking with me again like mm-hmm. you could take that generous view of it (laughs) oh yeah that generous view or just again the broad view of like these guys aren't mad that i did these things they're mad that i did these things like but not on their behalf if i were serving Mm -hmm. their interests like they would not be bringing out the guns on me it's because i'm serving the little man instead of them you Mm -hmm. know like that's the difference yeah so i I mean yeah i can see why I i still think yeah it's not the best move but i guess we would be saying not the best move if he just let them do a coup on him. Yeah, yeah. So, so what are you going to do? But it does look bad. It does look bad. Not a great look. <laughs> so, September 8th, 1935. This is when he passes a bill to basically gerrymander away a district for one of his enemies, Judge Benjamin Pavy. He wants. He doesn't want that guy to like have a have power anymore. Okay. Yeah. He's going to redraw his district out of existence or something. He does this, and he's leaving the courthouse, and Pavi's son-in-law, Carl Weiss, approaches him. It's this Mm, nerd-looking dude. And the generally accepted story, we'll talk about that in a second, is that Weiss fired at Long, a single shot, and Long's bodyguards, which were hilariously slash terrifyingly named, uh, nicknamed the Cossacks or the Skull Crushers. That's a great name. Uh, I don't really <laughs> want to hear the story of how they got that. Yeah. Great name for a metal band, but not not cool hey for guys, bodyguards. We're the Skull Crushers. <laughs> What's up? They shot Weiss at least like 40 to 60 times. So. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot of times. Uh, wow. Yeah. They later did some, like, some, what's it called? Like, forensic studies on this. Mm-hmm. They, like, dug up some bones and did some analysis. And some people, some eyewitnesses claimed that Weiss merely punched Long and the bodyguards did the shooting. Mm-hmm. And based on the trajectories, they think that it's possible that Long was actually just caught in the crossfire from, like, a bullet ricocheting off of the marble walls oh, in the building. shit. Yeah. So they, so he got caught in his own guards. That's what they dumb think. dick shooting each other. Yes, <laughs> like that's that's very possible. Oh, wow. 
what do you think? Do you think that it was maybe that? Or, I, I think mean, it like, could have been. Is there a consensus or like a leaning one way or the other? Or is it like a pretty even camps? I, I think the generally told story is the single shot. Mm-hmm. But there is always like a reference to this. Like, uh, it's unclear. Mm. I think it very much could have happened that way, though, because he was very paranoid. And he did get like death threats and stuff like on the reg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think it kind of, it could go either way, but I lean towards the punching story. What this, oh yeah, this guy didn't, sorry, I was going to say, what did this guy say about it? But he didn't say shit. He got shot 60 times. He was dead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he didn't say anything. Damn. All right. So he, he died from that one shot? He did. He was rushed to an operating room. He died 31 hours later. Oh, uh, that's, yeah. One of the grim facts about that, uh, the past, is mm-hmm. how many people just, die in excruciating pain after like gunshot wounds that could be pretty you know that people would survive now yeah yeah and in fact some of long's people thought that like the operation was botched and like they could have saved them or something like they thought it was a conspiracy so uh it probably wasn't a conspiracy it's just how they're uh, probably just bad at operations yeah i yeah. think it was james garfield died in a similar way mm-hmm. it's, you know, and then but like you know back then you just uh surgery was shit and Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was super dangerous. Yeah. So people just died because they got shot, even though they didn't really. Nowadays, again, nowadays they'd survive. So yeah, that sucks. What was interesting in the documentary, they got reactions from people and all the poor people were like, yeah, it was really fucking sad. And like, you know, they are very upset about it. And then, mm-hmm. the, you know, remember our friends, the journalist and that one legislator, they're all like, I mean... Like, one guy was like, yeah, if you're at a party, people will just talk about wanting to kill him. Like, that's just what would happen, like, every party I went to. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, you know, they weren't complaining about the process then. Carl Weiss should have, you know, voted to impeach him, not shot him. They weren't, (laughs) you know, they weren't raising (laughs) objections. Yeah, yeah. Like, one guy straight up said he was glad he died. Like, they're like, eh, it's tragic that it happened that way, but, like... I'm not going to lie. I was okay with it. I think people in general would be better served by that uh, easiness of morality of like, I don't know. It's kind of okay to be glad when your enemies suffer. And <laughs> at least politic. I don't know. Like, I think so. Yeah. I get annoyed when people are like, like when Trump had COVID, everyone's like, oh, we shouldn't wish bad things. Like, whatever. I'm doing a fucking summoning circle to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think it's because it's it is hypocritical because you know you feel like man good I don't know if you, you know <laughs> and not just with people dying but like when bad things happen to them yeah or they suffer defeat or something you know you're just like it's not just I don't know I don't know what I'm trying what I think we have an obsession here, with like being a noble loser you know like a good loser yeah as opposed to a sore loser and like I don't know if the other side. I don't know if the right wing necessarily has that. Like they understand the power struggle, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, they that's delight good. It's, in it. And it's good when your enemies are dead and no longer able to menace you. Absolutely. You know? I think that, you know, real revolutionaries actually understand that too, rather than mm-hmm. more like liberal posturing of like, Oh, it's, you know, that's a tragedy or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. After he passes, his widow replaces him in the Senate and actually won the next election. And basically, there's like a whole political dynasty. You know, his brother Earl was governor Mm -hmm. for like two terms. His son became a senator in 1948. That's a 
Russell Long. He was really long-serving, I think. Yeah, he went from 1948 to 1987. He's, uh, if you've watched the movie JFK, uh, he is, he, he makes, not him, him, but an actor yeah. portraying him. He's the guy on the plane who talks to uh, Garrison at, at the beginning of the movie. And mm. he's like, that dog don't hunt. You know, that... <laughs> Talking about the uh, Warren Commission findings or whatever. Mm, that was okay, Russell okay. Wong, who okay. apparently had voiced, you know, doubts about the JFK conspiracy or all that. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. He was interviewed in the documentary a few times. I mean, obviously a biased view there, but like I like sure. him. And, you know, at one point he said something along the lines of like, you know, the people got what they voted for. And mm-hmm. that's more than a lot of people can say. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah, again, we're not trying to say. He was great on everything, for sure, or mm-hmm. even sufficient on most things. But, mm-hmm. like, damn, it's still pretty impressive, like, looking from our perspective, from our meager, <laughs> sad American Honestly, perspective. Honestly, yes, yes, yes. That's just big context. <laughs> so, yeah, that brings us perfectly to kind of, I have this section where I just ask questions. And, okay. and okay. the first question is, was he a fascist? And... In this documentary, there are a ton of comparisons to fascists. Like, the obviously, the people who didn't like him were saying, like, you know, Mussolini and Hitler, they got the trains there on time. You know, they provided for people. Mussolini <laughs> did not get the trains running on time. This is, is that a lie. a lie? Yeah, this, the, the trains were just as bad, at, bad as or as good as the same. They were the same as mm-hmm. they were before. So that's a lot. Okay, yeah, that was my question. Because they're saying that's the thing about fascism is they have to provide something for people. I'm like, do they? Did they? Is that a thing? Because, like, Sometimes, I don't think uh, so. So, you know, uh, they did, I mean, in some ways, they regiment things, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, they're able to marshal the forces of the state into, uh, yeah, it's basically like uh, capitalism organizing itself as a gang and... Just running things. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, unemployment went way down in mm-hmm. Nazi Germany and stuff. They gave people jobs and things, even if it was in the the heavily militarized, you know, but like shovel brigade type thing where mm-hmm. instead of a rifle, you had a shovel and you were doing like conservation work or whatever, but it was like mainly to train you for the military. Yeah. Um, or to build, you know, lots of uh, heavy machinery that, that they can then easily convert to tanks when they wanted to. Like, yes, it can it can do that. And they did have like workers programs and stuff like health clubs and things that could be like like health spas and things and vacations. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure. But it was built in an exclusionary way. Only some people got to do this. Right. That was the whole thing. Like yeah. fascism isn't really a mass appeal to everyone so much as a mass appeal to people who are willing to, you know, put Submit put their the body state. into the yeah, put their body into the state machinery, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I just, again, I thought it was so interesting that that's immediately where they went to. It's just like, this is fascism. I'm like, I mean, yeah, some of his methods, again, they sucked. But, like, I don't know if that makes him a fascist. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I definitely wouldn't characterize him as an ideological fascist, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. he probably, if you sat down and talked to him, he probably, like, couldn't accurately explain what fascism was or you know, maybe he could he's a smart guy sure but like he i don't it doesn't look like he was pursuing that as a political like program i'm gonna do fascism for sure no like so there actually is a quote someone asked him if we'd ever have fascism in america and he said sure only if we'll call it anti-fascism which like 
is true. <laughs> yeah, or it was just, you know, Americanism or something. Mm-hmm. I think, too, the fact that he amassed so much power in one state mm-hmm. to the point where he was absolutely controlling everything in there, like, was intimidating <laughs> and, and has some fash vibes. Yeah, I would definitely call it, like, dictatorial, mm-hmm. you know, I just, you know, as a political ideology, I don't think it was fascist, but yeah, it was certainly, you know, I mean, tyrannical in a way. I mean, he mm-hmm. was, he was the strong man, but maybe more so in this, like, you know, cause it's not born of the military. It's not particularly militaristic. And he had the national guard and he like whipped them out for anything. Sure. But he wasn't like saying we need to make sure we go conquer Arkansas, you know, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it, so it wasn't fascist in that regard or like focused on an outward enemy or anything Mm -hmm. like that it was just more like make sure you follow me and you're gonna be good like Mm -hmm. which i guess is more of a i don't know more of like a classic old school like patronage style system which is what he was running you know Uh, this brings us to our next question which was was he a demagogue so this term gets thrown around a lot and so i again i looked it up and Mm -hmm. It is defined as a political leader who seeks support by appealing to the desires and prejudices of ordinary people rather than using rational argument. And this just feels like another populist kind of thing. Yeah, because like, I okay, I think that, yes, he's a demagogue because he appeals to these broad support. But like, this is, it's kind of a bias baked into the definition of like, you know, whatever the people want is opposed to apparently not rational yeah yeah i'm like what the fuck like that's not a bad thing and also like yeah assuming people are irrational and the prejudices is very like trying to say oh it's probably racist and it's like everyone is prejudiced and also prejudice can be positive you know mm-hmm. so yeah it, it just is a very interesting term that is constantly used to define him even in his own time was used to define him. And shortly afterwards, like there were plays and stuff written basically about him. Didn't they write a book about him? Mm-hmm. Uh, it can't it, happen here. Yes. It was based on a, a Southern guy who rose to power and yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I read that book. It was during the, I think it was still the primaries. I think it was still in 2015 that I read that. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, oh, this is definitely Trump, right? And it was wild. Yeah. I was like, and I was thinking, oh, this is definitely Trump. You know, I was like, this is mm-hmm. eerie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they had that. They also had All the King's Men, which was basically based on him. Mm. A Lion is in the Streets. Um, both of those got later turned into films. And like, I understand, like, I clearly have a bias here. Like, I think this guy's one fucking funny. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Um, And two, like, he did some good things. And so, like, it's very hard for me to criticize in this way. I I think I want people to question that instinct to immediately label him as fascist or a demagogue or, you know, in that negative way. Yeah. And uh, we're never trying to pay anyone as 100% saint or sinner. He did some shit that I did not (laughs) like, as we talked about. He he had more than three strikes. Let's say that. Uh, you know, when you're talking about bias, I, you know, I do think people should, maybe if this is your first time, you know, understand that this, you know, sure, we have a bias. You know, we're not trying Everyone to claim that we one. don't. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you know, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see a review that's like, this is biased for communism. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, yeah, look I mean, at the name, bro. But we're, you know, there's, there's a lot of built-in bias in how 
yeah, at least I guess we should speak maybe just for America, but globally and mm-hmm. maybe in more Western or capitalist countries, there's there's a bias toward that toward that status quo of the system of capitalism, right? And liberal democracy, and like you were saying in the in the documentary, like the institutions, the norms, mm-hmm. the process, you know, has to be respected. That that that's the bias that I think maybe history colors long with is oh he broke these and he was you know all about amassing power for himself and less focused on well what was he trying to do that for because, even though again everyone was fucking doing it too <laughs> yeah 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 um and that i think again i think that's the real difference is that you don't want to focus on what he was doing it for because that's the real that's the real thing they have a problem with yeah and like lest people somehow come away with this thinking, oh, demagogue means good, populist means good in all cases. Like, obviously, in the case of, like, Donald Trump, he was doing bad things, like, unethically, both in process and in results. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's bad, for sure. We're essentially maybe saying that, and this is a discussion I feel like we've, we kind of revisit from time to time, is the importance of thinking about what are your ends when judging someone's means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of say it sometimes. It's like, we don't like when our enemies do this thing, but we think we should do that thing. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. Like, this guy did some nasty shit to get shit done. <laughs> yeah. It's in the context of peacetime. So it's, you know, it's different than what we've seen in other situations where we're like, ah, oh, damn, this guy started executing people, but hey, it was a civil <laughs> war, you know? Like, I think uh, that is kind of important to do when you're looking at history, you know, is mm-hmm. the context. Yeah, context. And it's not to absolve anyone or, or whatever. It's really just to say, really just to get the whole picture, you know. Definitely, yeah. And I think he did really cool stuff, especially for the time. And again, like from our perspective of today, like if someone, again, if someone suggested this shit today, it'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like it would yeah. be the most radical thing in the world and everyone would lose their fucking minds over it. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting that he does all this, like, while when people ask him, like, are you, you know, a socialist or a communist? He's like, nah, I'm not. No, he said he was anti-communist. He said this was, these were measures to prevent communism. Boo. Which, like, yeah, that sucks. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, you know, you can also see where he probably (laughs) had a good reason to think that was a good idea. Yeah. He actually would attack FDR as communist to, like, take fire off of him. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah you want to see the real communist that's yeah. The, yeah even though he didn't think he was left enough which like bad methodology but okay <laughs> <laughs> never said he was a political scientist yeah yeah <laughs> one of the things that i loved about the documentary was they do a ton of interviews with poor people and like you can see where they're living and like they're old enough to have remembered him and voted for him mm-hmm. and they all fucking loved him yeah (laughs) like they were like he did this for me he did this for me like you know was absolutely on his side and i just thought that was so telling you could obviously see this clear class distinction between who liked him and who didn't and i think that's real powerful too because uh the process people who are like he didn't Mm -hmm. do it the right way Mm -hmm. you know is you can tell that they like did not that this was uh and it's it's the same thing we saw with you know liberal journalism under trump and everything is it doesn't Mm -hmm. materially affect them you know 
It's just oh, no, the the, the rude fine. man they didn't is need on the free TV. Textbooks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's so rude and he's so crass and whatever. And that was what was bothering them. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people were like, no, he material. He did this thing for me. I got this because of him. Like they have a real vested interest in in him and his policies. Or conversely now, like we don't hear anything about what the fuck Biden is doing because he's being polite about it mm-hmm. or, or asleep in a back room somewhere. And because it doesn't, you know, and the journalist class, like they don't, they're fucking fine. They, yeah. They're, they can now go to brunch instead of mm-hmm. paying attention to the news. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Once again, ending on a downer. <laughs> it is the way in summary. He did some bad stuff, but he did some cool stuff. <laughs> he sounds fucking hilarious. Like, would definitely get drunk with this man. But then he'd probably, like, do some Pee shit on somebody. That would, he might pee on somebody. Uh, yeah. Who does he look like? He looks like... Um, <laughs> he looks like fucking... Nathan... What's the guy? Nathan Lane. I love him. Yeah. Nathan Lane. I was trying to remember his last name. Nathan Lane. He was played by John Goodman, which I'm like, okay, um, sure. But, like, played by should have been Nathan Lane. I've got to watch the Huey Long movie. And there was a movie... Oh, it's just called Kingfish, a story of Huey P. Long. It's a 1995 okay, movie. I gotta watch that. Again, missed opportunity for Nathan Lane. Yes, sure. He looks not exactly like him, but very like him. But really similar. Yeah. I think he's very handsome. What are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to watch a movie. Hell yeah. Mainly because I'm going uh, back to school, starting up starting up work again. <laughs> so like, Understandable. Yeah. We need a break. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll find some time to, to carve out some more research uh later but yeah we're doing a movie we're gonna watch brazil okay i've heard about this uh so brazil's a movie i think it's from 1985 uh directed by terry gilliam it's got a lot of like commentary social Mm -hmm. commentary and it was like kind of sci-fi dystopian uh talking about like you know fascism and and bureaucracy and you know, a, a totalitarian style government and, and it's got a lot of different angles and it's a weird one. So <laughs> buckle in. Yeah. So buckle in kind of dovetails nicely though, with what we've been talking about today. So yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it can't happen here, but it's already happened. <laughs> <laughs> it did happen yeah, here. <laughs> so as far as where to watch, there's several, you know, rental options. There's also, uh, the plethora of of media collections Less online legal. that one can sleuth around to find if you are so inclined. <laughs> Lots of different ways to try to obtain it, however <laughs> you see fit. Yes. Uh, but it, yeah, it's great. So check it out if you haven't already. Find a way to do so. Cool. In the meantime, you can find us online. We're on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can send us an email if you're like, Christine, you're way too cool with that guy being a dictator. And let me tell you how I feel about it. You can send us an email at teachmecommunism at gmail.com. That's fair. I sometimes wonder, like, am I too apologetic (laughs) for, which I would welcome thoughts on how to better frame that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's some, it's something that nerdily enough, or I don't know enough, but like, I do sometimes just think about throughout <laughs> the day. Space like, out. <laughs> yeah. So I, I welcome input. You know, it's <laughs> it's very Lenin vibes. What is to be done? Sometimes you got to do some bad shit. <laughs> but what if he was wrong? But what if he was wrong? Which you know, I Lenin, I have mixed feelings on as well. 
<laughs> anyway, again, greatest philosophy is just a big shrug emoji. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's my official stance is, I don't know. <laughs> that's my campaign slogan. Who knows? My new song. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. If you run for stuff in the future, you got to write your own song. Absolutely. You should also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to help people find the show, and it makes me feel good. So do that. You don't have to be like an Apple user to leave a review. It's just like very helpful for for the numbers. And for our self-esteem. Mm-hmm. We also have a YouTube, if that's how you like to listen to podcasts. And finally, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes. This time you'll be getting my notes. So enjoy. Yeah. I was lazy. Didn't write any notes. Hell, you deserve it. You do all the notes all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm usually the lazy one. It's a pretty great gig, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, it was was nice. And at the end of the year, the proceeds from that will go to a mutual aid fund in Dallas, Texas. So support those guys. Yeah, put your money toward your comrades. Hell yeah. All right. I think that's it, man. I think so. Uh, Thank you for teaching me about this. I learned a lot about Huey Pierce Long. Nice. Yeah, he's a fucking weirdo. I enjoyed the research <laughs> process. Awesome. And thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. You guys are just some of the best people. Absolutely. Uh, you can tune in next week for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. All right, I'm going to go eat a tostada. Uh, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. See ya. Bye. Bye.